Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. Are you still breathing? I'm trying to. My allergies are pretty wild right now, but I blame the great quantity of leaves I mowed down yesterday for that. Hopefully that will get better between the time I write this and when I record it. And as I'm now recording this, I can say that, yes, my allergies are much better today than they were the day that I wrote this. Um, But that's, of course, not exactly what I meant when I asked if you were still breathing. Um, I really meant on the figurative side. And I'm trying to keep breathing on the figurative side, too. It will all be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, then it's not the end. Right? And maybe that is really the lesson we should be gleaning from some of these sometimes weird, sometimes disjointed, sometimes disturbing, so-called comedies of Plautus. Today's offering is Trinumus. Um, It's one of his later works, which is about all the um, historical context I have to offer. Um, The title translates roughly to three pence or three coins or three pieces of money. Um, So you can probably guess that it's about money or that money plays a key role, um, which is something we see frequently in Plautus's plays. Um, And it has many other hallmarks of Plautus. The play is set in Athens and is filled with stock characters. I am, unfortunately, um, for this section, um, this act of the this episode, I'm I'm using the the good old Henry Thomas Riley translation, so I don't have a handy cast list to work from. Um, so the following might be missing a few people. Uh, we have a family group consisting of Charmides and his son Lesbonicus um, and daughter, who doesn't have a name. Callicles is Charmides's BFF and current guardian of Charmides's children. Uh, Megaronides is Callicles' other BFF. And we also have Philto and his son Lysidiles. Um, we have a clever slave uh, by the name of Stasimus, um, and he belongs to Lesbonicus. Um, and I think those are all of the primary characters, but I'm sure I probably missed a few. Um, and I'll do my best um, when we come across them to clarify in the summary. As far as the set is concerned, uh, the primary house on stage belongs to Charmides. Um, and the house, it will turn out, is kind of important to the plot. Um, Philto's house is also um, on, on stage as one of the other, other entrances. Um, and with that, we'll take a short break before trying to work out exactly what happens with um, the play and, and these three, three coins or three pence that the title alludes to. The play opens with luxury and poverty entering, and so um, we already have two characters that I forgot to mention before the break. Sorry about that. Uh, They're not on stage for long. Luxury instructs her daughter Poverty to go into Charmides' house, and Poverty exits. Like I said, not on stage for long. Um, Luxury then introduces herself and her daughter. 
Ah, uh, she explains that she, Luxury, has helped the young man who lives in that house to squander his fortune, so she's dropped off her daughter, Poverty, to live with him. Uh, she goes on to say that the Greek version of this play is Thesaurus, or The Treasure, by Philemon. Plautus wrote this translation and named it Trinumus, which is a name he is rather fond of. Then she tells the audience to shut up and listen before she exits. Megaronides enters. He tells the audience that he's getting ready to let his friend know um, uh, about, well, you know, which is to say his friend's, you know, faults. It won't be easy, um, but it's something that true friends sometimes have to do. You know, if you can't trust your friends to tell you what's wrong with you, then what are they good for? Uh, Callicles enters. He calls back into the house to remind his wife of something and then mutters to the audience about how much he can't stand her. Megaronides greets him and they spend a little time talking about how they both hate their wives. Then Megaronides gets down to brass tacks and tells Callicles that people are talking about him. And it all boils down to Charmides, or rather Charmides' son, who has been most profligate in his spending and is now reduced to poverty. As his foster father, Callicles should have taught him otherwise. Instead, Callicles has purchased the house from the son for a mere 40 mine. How will that teach him anything? Now he just has more money to squander. But Callicles explains his reasoning. Charmides told him that there is a treasure hidden in the house, the princely sum of 3,000 gold pieces. So the house is worth 40 mine, and Callicles has kept the treasure safe for when Charmides returns. Megaronides then asks after the daughter, but doesn't say why he cares. Um, they say farewell, and Callicles exits. Megaronides tells the audience that he's relieved to hear that the gossip was blown out of proportion, and he exits too. Lysidiles enters. He soliloquizes about how he's in love. It's a fairly long speech and amounts to nothing more than that. Philto enters, looking for his son. Lysidiles steps forward and Philto berates him for standing in the middle of the street and talking about love. Lysidiles explains that he's in love with the girl who lives in the house, the sister of his BFF Lisbonicus, but Lisbonicus has squandered his fortune, so now he wants to marry her even though she has no dowry. Philto is skeptical, but Lysidiles convinces him to make the match, and Lysidiles exits. Philto then soliloquizes about how he feels, how he really feels about a daughter-in-law with no dowry. But he loves his son, and his son loves the girl, so he'll put up with it, even though he thinks it's a bad plan. He sees Lisbonicus entering from the house and hides. Lisbonicus and Stasimus enter. Lisbonicus is shocked to learn that he's already spent the 40 mine. Filto is surprised to overhear that Lisbonicus sold the house. He steps forward to say that he's come to propose a marriage between his son and Lisbonicus' sister. Lisbonicus refuses, much to everyone's surprise, not unless he can put together a dowry. Filto insists that she doesn't need one, but Lisbonicus insists that she'll only marry with one. Stasimus pulls Filto aside and tells him that Lisbonicus still owns this piece of land, and it's this awful piece of land. Nothing grows on it, and, you know, you don't want it. And Filto says that he'll be sure to steer clear of it. Stasimus is concerned that this piece of land will become the dowry. And he explains to the audience that if Lisbonicus gives that land away, then he, Lisbonicus, and himself, Stasimon, will have nothing left to live on, literally and figuratively. Lisbonicus finally gives in and agrees to let his sister get married without a dowry. 
Fielto exits. Lisbonica sends Stasman to the house of Callicles to tell his sister that her marriage has been arranged. Lysmonicus exits. Stasimus bemoans how his master's ruin also ruins him, and he exits into Charmides' house. Callicles and Stasimus enter. Stasimus is explaining the engagement to Callicles. Callicles decides that something must be done about the dowry, and he exits. Stasimus frets some more about the land. He sees Lysiteles coming and hides. Lysiteles and Lysbonicus enter. They argue about the lack of the dowry. It's the same basic issue. Lysiteles doesn't care, and Lesbonicus does. Stasimus intervenes, and they decide they can go inside and discuss lists like adults, and they exit. Stasimus sighs and tells the audience that he just might need to run away, and he exits. Megaronides and Callicles enter. Now Megaronides is chiding Callicles about needing to put together a dowry for the girl. I mean, it should be easy enough. What about that treasure that's hidden in the house? Now, of course, the only problem is getting it out of the house without Lesbonicus finding out. Megaronides says he'll go to the forum and find a sharper or a swindler, a sycophant, um, to play the part of a messenger sent by Charmides with the money that really had been in the house this entire time. And they exit. Charmides enters. He soliloquizes. Charmides, the the guy who's been away this whole time, right? He soliloquizes about how he went away, earned some money, and now he has returned to his home in Athens. Um, And he he sees a stranger coming, and he hides, because that's logical. Uh, The sharper, uh, or, or, you know, the swindler, enters. And he talks about how he's been hired for three pieces of money, three numus, uh, to pretend that he's just come from travels abroad and to say that he has letters to deliver. Uh, Charmides realizes that this stranger is going to his house, so he approaches him. And in a lengthy scene, Charmides quizzes the sharper. um, And the sharper realizes that he's caught in the lie, so he, in turn, um, quizzes Charmides um only you know trying they're both trying to suss out if the other person is really who they say they are only one of them actually is charmides actually is who he says he is right and ultimately so ultimately charmides reveals himself to be who he is and the sharper ultimately decides that charmides is telling the truth the sharper exits and charmides hides again because he's just gotten home but he still hasn't actually made it home because he has to keep hiding stasimus enters um he talks to himself, and Charmides makes sides, um, and Charmides eventually recognizes Stasimus, and, and he steps forward, and Stasimus fills him in on all of the news. So, basically, you could start with this scene and be just as far ahead in the plot as you've been by watching the first three acts of this play. <laughs> Callicles enters and is thrilled to see that his friend is returned and safe. Um, Charmides is angry about how Callicles bought the house, but Callicles explains why he did it, and they exit as friends. Stasimus comments about how faithful a friend Callicles is, and he exits too. Lysiteles enters. He tells the audience how happy he is with his engagement. He steps aside so that he's hidden from view when Charmides and Callicles enter. 
they are speaking of the engagement. And after eavesdropping for a bit, Lysidolis steps forward to say hello. Charmides tells Lysidolis that his daughter will have a dowry of a thousand gold pieces. And Lysidolis insists that he really doesn't care about the money. But Charmides insists with an aw shucks. Lysidolis calls inside to Lisbonicus, who then enters. Lysidolis points out that his father is home, and father and son are reconciled, and everyone is happy, and then, because Plautus is terrible at endings, someone turns to the audience and tells them to clap. I had a hard time deciding what to subtitle this one. I opted for the money pit because of the money that's in the house, Um, but I contemplated calling it the prodigal son. Um, You may have noticed a bit of similarity between um, these two stories. This predates the biblical story of the prodigal son. but it shows how there are common threads that run through the stories we tell. Obviously, what happens in Trinomos is not quite the same as the story of the prodigal son, but the underlying message is the same. Families should love each other. Fathers should love their sons even when they do stupid things, like squander their fortunes. Of course, it doesn't hurt if the father still has plenty of money, which, you know, we see is is a fact in both the story of the prodigal son and in the story of Trinomos. And yes, these are all shoulds. No family is perfect, and some are, frankly, less perfect than others. Um, but as we have seen, Roman comedy... It does not play somewhere in the middle. There's no liminality in Roman comedy. Roman comedy plays to the extremes. Um, a notable thing about this play is that there are no women in it. Did you notice that? Callicles and Megaronides spend a lot of time whinging about their wives, but we never see them. And there is this daughter sister fiance who becomes rather important to the plot but we never see her either it's another of those extremes by never appearing on stage they wind up as the epitome of their stock characters all that we know about the wives is that they fully meet the persona of the matrona stock character there is no possibility of added dimension because they never appear on stage to contradict the stock characterization. The same is true for the daughter. Um, and to make them even more, shall we say, stocky, they don't even have names. I, and so they are completely boiled down to what the stock character is. Um, so... How would you handle this play today? Does it translate to a modern audience? Um, I think in many ways this one actually can. There, There's nothing, well, I mean, there's not a lot about this play that makes it feel like it's tied to a specific time or place. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts, um, obviously, about any of this or anything else that this play made you think of. 
um, pop over to the blog at trimbeerclio.school.blog and join the discussion. The URL and um, maybe a link, depending on your platform, are in the show notes. On Wednesday, we will read book 13 of the Odyssey. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.